Hello, my name is Joe. Welcome. I'm excited to talk to you today. We are winding down 2018 and it is flying. One of the things going on in my life is I'm creating all sorts of stuff. I want to talk to you about that today. I'm working on my next book, Taming the Tempest in Your Head. Letting go of what you're afraid of to become what you were created to be. That's a very long working title, but that's the beauty of working titles. You can make them as long as you want. Uh, was having uh, supper, dinner, a little eat over with some friends this weekend, and they were doing some sort of body language from, I think, The Office, a show that I've never seen an episode of, but I know many people have, and maybe you know exactly what they were doing. If you don't, I'm sorry that I just wasted 30 minutes of your life. I want to talk to you today about the power of relational equity, and I've got something for parents who are divorced about the holidays that's probably going to upset a few people. Let's kick it off. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, so yesterday I'm at a coffee shop. I'm working on my new book, uh, which hopefully I was hoping would be out in 2019. I think we're probably looking at spring of 2020. Uh, it, it's, it's a book about dealing with the story in your head and how that affects your life. In my last book, I talked about it briefly and how it works in communication, but it works in how we organize life, uh, how we decide what part of what something's telling us, which part of what someone's telling us is important, right? So if somebody's telling you a long story, you might zero in on one part of it and respond to it. And they're like, that's not even what I'm talking about. What do you care? And it's because the story in your head hears the words coming out of their mouth differently than the story in their head hears the story coming out of their mouth, the words coming out of their mouth, if that makes sense. So I wanted to see, to be honest with you, uh, one of one of the things in my life is I am creating a lot of content in a lot of different places and so I wanted to see how much I had talked about it in the book, how much had made it through the editing process. And so I, I pulled up my Kindle. I have a copy of my book on the Kindle that I actually bought. Uh, and people, you might be like, well, why would you do that? Well, one of the reasons you do it, or one of the reasons I did it, is it allows me to see what other people highlight, right? What, what are the parts of the book that mattered to the readers, because the parts that matter to me might not be what really connect with the majority of the readers, et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the things that a lot of people highlighted, a lot of people commented on, a lot of people uh, made notes on was the chapter on relational equity. In fact, I'm going to read you just the opening part of that chapter, and we're going to talk about the power of relational equity in relationships and what it has to do with the holidays. What, if you're divorced, what it has to do with your children. If you're not divorced, it's okay because it has to do with your children too. Okay, let's start with chapter three of the book, The Power of Relational Equity. My wife and I are both mental health therapists and we both do marriage and relationship conferences together. The truth is that she is probably the best therapist in the house. This will often lead people to ask me what our fights are like. I've actually had someone ask me if I would be willing to videotape one. I politely declined. Once I had a friend ask me about it. I told him it is rare for us to have a fight. We have plenty of conflict, but we rarely have fights. You know the kind. The kind where the roof comes off the house from the internal fireworks or the windows break from the deep freeze that kicks off when neither party talks to each other for days. Emotionally destructive verbal bombs get lobbed indiscriminately across the landscape 
of your relationship without any thought for tomorrow. We just rarely have them. Until one day we did. It was the night before my friend asked me about our fights. So I told him, it's funny you ask, despite the fact that we rarely have them, we had a pretty serious fight just last night. And my friend said, without even blinking, now you gotta pay. I replied, no, not really. We both apologized and we owned our own mistakes. It's over now. He didn't believe me. I assured him I wasn't lying to him. It truly was over. We would probably joke about it for a while, but the actual fighting part was over. No more emotional damage. The obvious question is, how does a couple get there? I think everyone can get there. They need to work on their relational equity. You do that by living by your vows. You remember those, those pesky promises to love your spouse more than anyone else, including yourself. What happens when we live that way? We build relational equity. When your spouse knows that you're upset or hurt and you purposely choose loving words, you build relational equity. When your spouse knows you purposely work at your communication skills, you build relational equity. There is a myriad of ways to build equity. We will not touch on all of them in this book. But anytime you put your spouse in the health of your relationship ahead of your own desires, you build equity. It's like making a deposit into a bank. In the same way, every time you throw a temper tantrum or act childish or chip away at your relational equity, you make a withdrawal. When you try to manipulate your spouse into doing what you want them to do, either through punishment, quote, I'm not talking to him, her, end quote, or reward, reward, Jim just knows that if he wants sex, he better do what I want him to do, quote, end quote. We are chipping away at the well of relational equity our spouse has stored up for us. We also add to our own equity. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Telling your wife you love her will increase your love for her. If you don't want to have sex with your husband, you should because that will increase your desire to have sex with him. Relational equity occurs when we build into the relationship. All right, so that's the introduction to chapter three, relational equity. And I get a lot of emails about that last, the part about sex. And I'm not saying that your husband can force you to have sex. I want to be really clear on that. But, or your wife can force you to have sex with her. But if you don't want to have sex with them, and a lot of times I hear this in the room, other therapists report to me, they hear this in the room. I'll have sex with him. I'll have sex with her when I feel like it. You'll probably have very little sex and your relationship will suffer. But I don't want to have sex. I know. But if you have sex, you'll want to have sex. That's the paradox of relational equity. It builds over time but it builds through selfless acts. And yes, ideally in a relationship, it'll go both ways. There is one giant exception to that, and that's children and parents. Parents cannot use as an excuse when my child isn't building relational equity into my relationship, so I don't have to build into theirs. Adult children, that's a different thing. We're talking, When I say child and children, I'm talking about kids in the house, right? I have a friend who has a child... Um, he is 14 or 13, and uh, his birth father is never going to be considered uh, father of the year material, at least based on the first 14 years of activity in his life. The child states to my friend, I'm thinking about maybe moving in with dad because dad's new wife is dying of uh, cancer, I believe. And immediately my friend says, well, just know if you move in there, you're never moving back. And I pointed out to my friend that what was actually happening was the statement I might move in with dad sat on her fear of abandonment and she set fire 
to a lot of the relational equity that she had built up with her son. Relational equity comes when we build into the relationship, when we make choices that are beneficial to the relationship and contradictory to how we feel in the moment. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently, well, we weren't talking, we were, we were Facebooking, uh, which in a lot of ways has become sort of the new way to talk to different people, right? We were talking about my belief that, that I, don't want, I want my kids to learn that not everyone who is offended is right. There are people who are offended. I've talked about that on this show. There are people who are offended who just need to get over themselves. They need to realize that that being easily offended is a dangerous thing for relationships. And we were talking back and forth, and the person said to me, "Well, I'm not. Okay. I don't want someone to be okay with hurting people." And I and I said, I wrote, I said, "Well, but that's that's the problem. I don't assume that just because somebody's offended, they're hurt." I assume they could be hurt, right? And I actually said to him, we seem to just let our feelings run our world to our detriment. If you want to have strong relational equity, you can't let your feelings run your world. You have to let your choices run your world, right? Because here's what happens. Here's one of the ways that we destroy relational equity is we manipulate, right? Why do we manipulate? Because we're trying to control something that we can't control. That's manipulation, right? Circle, square, Uh you might have, I have a video up about that. We're going to do a podcast about it at some point. When you're in a relationship with someone, there will be times where your emotions will, your emotions and your feelings will cause you to think that doing something will actually feel better than the consequences. You lose sight of future outcomes, as Annie Dukes would say in her excellent book, uh, Thinking in Bets. I, I just heard a story this week where Someone who had her first fight with one of her close friends that she's been friends with for many years. And essentially what happened was something was said, someone responded with with words that were hurtful, and there was a fire because emotions ran the conversation. And essentially the things that were said were designed to just shut it down. That's manipulation. If you want to build manipul- if you want to build re- relational equity, you have to stop manipulating. You have to stop attempting to manipulate your spouse or anyone into doing what you want them to do. It's my assumption that you can never manipulate someone into doing something and have a long-term healthy relationship with them. Manipulation doesn't equal health. In fact, it's impossible. A view of a relationship isn't made in a day and it isn't built in a day. So there's going to be times where you manipulate because you gave in, you made a mistake, you fell off the wagon, whatever the phrases that you want to use there, and that happens. But you have to make a commitment. I'm done manipulating. So if you want healthy relationships, it starts today, right now with, I'm done manipulating. You have to stop manipulating. You cannot manipulate and have good relational equity or a healthy relationship. Now here's the problem. Once you give this up, you're actually embracing the messiness of life. So if you want a healthy relationship, you're going to have to embrace the the, the messiness of life. If you want good relational equity, you're going to have to embrace the messiness of life because it's messy. People are just complicated. Good people do dumb things. Good people do things that hurt us. Good people do things that cause us uh, pain, one of my favorite quotes. I've said it on here numerous times. I say it as often as I can. It's from my friend Jason. To love someone is to invite pain. He actually might have said love something. I'm going to have to go ask him, right? If you love a dog, eventually that dog's going to cause you pain because you're that dog's probably going to die before you, and that is painful. Okay, so the first step is that we 
we stopped manipulating. And then the second step was we embraced the messiness of life. The next thing we have to do is we have to focus on the positives in the relationship with the person that we're on. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't talk about the negative things, especially the truly destructive things, the things that happen that hurt our relationship. So let's say uh, that my wife feels like I am talking too harshly to one of my children. Focusing on the positives doesn't mean that she ignores that. In fact, she can embrace it. That's part of the messiness. She can come talk to me about it. But one of the things that has happened in our society, maybe it was always been there. I've only been alive for, for you know, so many years. Uh, maybe it was there before me and I just didn't know it, is we tend to be as a society, a society that that thrives on pointing out what people could be doing better. It certainly is that way on Facebook. You put up anything. Uh, talk, may, put up a quote that you found inspirational and somebody's going to offer you a slight and gentle or not so slight and not so gentle counterpoint, something that you hadn't thought of, something that you need to think about. They're going to say, they're going to start their sentence with the word, but, or they're going to say, I agree, but, and then they're going to tell you about this cool little thing that you could have done better. This cool little way that could have made the saying better. And we do that in relationships. I see this with spouses all the time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk and somebody will say, well, you know, if my spouse would just chip in and clean the kitchen more, that would be helpful. And so they come back next week or a month later and the spouse is like, I'm done cleaning the kitchen because every time I do it, the other spouse comes in and tells me everything I could have done differently. And I ask, okay, well, so wait, is it, is it not clean or is it just not clean the way you want it done? Invariably, the answer is, well, it's not done the way I want it done. Well, that's not focusing on the positives that, hey, you got help. That's actually focusing on the negatives. It's taking a positive effort and turning it into a negative. It's literally like taking money, saving it in a savings account, and then cashing that savings account out and setting it on fire. It makes that much sense. I see this with parents. They focus on outcomes rather than effort, right? So junior gets all A's. Well, why didn't you get A pluses? Or... They don't care about Junior's grades, but they want to know why Junior isn't playing in some sport. Well, maybe he doesn't want to, or maybe he's not doing as well as one of the parents thinks he should. And they start focusing on not the positive. Right? Like, do you focus on the fact that your kids are kids, so they tear up your house? Or do you focus on the fact that they have a lot of energy and they're creative? Certainly, there's a time and place for everything. But one of the things that I watch regularly is parents who just destroy relational equity with their kids because they don't engage them as humans. They engage them like pets. Like, don't don't mess up the house. Don't play with that toy. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why? Is it bad or is it just them being kids? If it's just them being kids, find a way to make it a positive. Not, not a false positive. If they do something, you know, while you're getting ready for someone to come over for dinner or, okay, it's time to clean up the house now and they're not helping. That's one thing. But kids, we have to let kids be kids. We're so focused on programming. You got to do this sport in the fall, this activity in the winter, this sport in the spring, these seven sports in the, in, in the summer. Uh, and then you got to take cello lessons and piano lessons and karate lessons. And you need to go to church and memorize the 74 tenets of your particular faith. Let your kids be kids. Fight the cultural norm. Here's one of the things that is killing relational equity in our society. This is a whole, I've got a whole nother podcast ready to go about this topic. We confuse busy with meaningful. 
And busy destroys relational equity. If you're not finding regular time to not be busy, you're destroying relational equity. And I know some of you truly have to work crazy hours just to survive. I've been there. My wife and I were talking about it just the other day. Uh, There was a time where I was working four or five jobs, three jobs, uh, going to grad school full time. I had children at home. You still have to find time to build relational equity. And it doesn't have to be big things. It can literally be just sitting on the couch. Here's the key word, though, interacting. Interacting. Not sitting on the couch where you watch your TV, they watch their TV, but where you're actually interacting. Because in your interactions, then you get a chance to focus on the positives. Here's the thing. You will always have opportunities to see negatives or positives. That choice is yours. The question is, what are you going to do with those opportunities? Are you going to focus on the negatives? Are you going to focus on the positives? Which one are going to be at the forefront? Now, again, I'm not saying that you ignore truly destructive things. You ignore things that are bad. But you do have to decide, is this something that is actually detrimental to the health of our relationship, to the growth of the person, or is it just something that I would like to see done differently? Because those are two different things. Those are not the same thing. They're completely different. They're apart and they're separate. So you start out with, you just make a commitment. I'm not going to manipulate. You embrace the messiness of life and then you focus on the positives and you find time to be involved. If you're focusing on being busy because you think busy makes you gives you meaning, you're going to lose out on relational equity. You don't get both, busy and relational equity. It just isn't how it works. You have to find time to slow it down and find time to interact with the person and to build positive things over time. Here's the biggest problem that I run into when I talk about this with people. It's the word eventually. A common pushback, this is straight out of the book, a common pushback I get on this idea is that it seems nearly impossible and it could set up a person to be in a bad relationship for a long time. I mean, who's going to do something and not expect anything in return? That's why it's a paradox. The husband who commits to loving his wife, no matter what, for as long as it takes, will often win her over, eventually. The wife who commits to loving her husband, regardless of how he acts for as long as it takes, will eventually melt the ice around his heart. Again, key word being eventually. One of the biggest factors in this ice melting is the truth that we don't usually give it time. We take years to build up hurts, wounds, and scars that all coalesce into this numb, frozen blob of ice called an emotional heart. Then we get mad when it doesn't change in days or weeks. We need a renewal of the words commitment and endurance. We have to stop thinking that we have to feel something in order to do it. This is patently false in almost every other area of our life. We don't always feel like going to work, but we do. Why? Because we want that paycheck. The idea that we have to want to do something in order to do it is really a terrible way to live our lives. There are many things that we force ourselves to do because it becomes something that we want to do. Allowing yourself to believe the insidious lie that you must want to be loving with your spouse before you will act loving toward them enslaves you to a fate that is almost guaranteed. You are removing the possibility of changing from the equation. You are saying that your feelings are the supreme dictator of your actions. Think about this with your children. And the book goes on. I am telling you, if you want good relational equity, you have to make a commitment. The overarching step is I will make a commitment to only engage in behaviors that build the relationship. And I 100% control my ability to make those choices. 100%. If you 
just commit to that idea that you will build the relationship by, by not manipulating, by embracing the messiness of life, by focusing on the po- positives, by finding time to just regularly interact with the person, you will build relational equity and it will be good. The other person may not, and you may get to a place where you're like, okay, this is all that I can build, but at least it's there. Don't be ruled by your feelings. It will ruin your life. It will ruin the life of the people that you love. It will ruin things. Now, I'm not saying ignore your emotions, right? Don't ignore your feelings because that'll ruin your life too. Live in the tension of the messiness, but understand that while you may not control what feelings are germinated in your soul, you may not control what emotions pop up in your gut, you totally 100% control what you do with them, period. You do not have to be a slave to your emotions. And eventually, over time, you can change your feelings and your emotions. And if you disagree with me, then you and I need to get together and we're going to go find every addict in the world and you're going to tell them that it's hopeless, that they might as well just give up. Every alcoholic, it's hopeless, just give up. And I'm willing to do that. If as long as you're willing to be the one that'll talk, I'll set up the meetings. Okay, so what does this have to do with parents who are divorced and their children in the holidays? Well, one of the things that I see a lot, I see it year round, but especially at the holidays, is parents, I have news for you. The story in your head, especially if you're divorced, is that your kids care about why you got divorced. The vast majority of them don't. They don't care how hard you think your wife was to live with. They don't. They don't care how how little sleep you got because you couldn't sleep because she, she didn't do what you wanted her to do. They don't care what your husband did. Now, if he was abusive, they may care about that. Sometimes they don't know because you kept it from them and that's fine. But if they know, by and large, kids obviously care about that. You cheated on her. She cheated on you. Your kids don't care. Don't use your kids as leverage tools to get back at your spouse or your ex-spouse because you're upset. Be an adult. All right? I get so tired of this. I hear it. I see it. Just be an adult. Don't use your kids to punish your ex. That's called being something other than an adult. That's actually called being a farm animal that looks like a horse but isn't. It, it is. It's just wrong. And it destroys relational equity with your kids. I get it. You don't like your ex. You, you, you whatever. Blah, 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 blah. You don't, Joe, you don't know my story. My ex did this. My ex did that. Okay, fine. Does he do it to your kids? If he does, right? Like if your ex is abusing your kids, then yes, keep them away. If your ex is being emotionally abusive to your, to your kids, do what you can to protect them. I realize the law will tie your hands there. I'm not talking about those types of things. Remember, hear this part of the podcast in the context of the whole podcast where we talk about understanding context. So many people, they try to leverage their children to hurt their ex. Well, no, she can't see him on Christmas Day because that's my day. Yeah, but you live four minutes apart. Why, why couldn't they spend two hours over there? Because that's my day. Oh, do they want to see their mom on Christmas Day? Well, yeah, but it's my day. Oh, well, you're a jerk. And, like, I don't know how else to say that. Well, you can't call names. It's 2018. Well, I'm not very politically correct. Don't use your kids as weapons against your ex. If you're married and you have kids, you've never been divorced, don't use your kids as weapons against your ex. I'll see this all the time. Kids want to get involved in their parents' arguments, especially as they get into early teens and teen years. Don't let that happen. 
I, I know I started this with my wife and I don't don't fight very much like the whole rip the roof off the house fights. But when we do, kids tend to take sides. I invariably say, look, I don't need your help. Or my wife will say, I don't need your help. Don't let your kids fight your battles. That destroys relational equity. Kids don't care about why you got divorced. If your kids say to you, I just wish you and mom were back together. I just wish you and dad were back together. Don't dismiss that. Listen to it. I know you feel guilt. I know you feel pain when they say that. That's called being an adult. Part of being an adult is saying, here, let me take some of your pain. Let me experience pain with you, my children. That's actually called love. Here it is. Here, here, you wish we could be back together and just work on empathy. Don't ever threaten with your kids. Don't be like, well, you know, the child support that I have to pay is so much, I might have to sell your bicycle. That's stupid. Not only is it stupid, it's really not realistic. Okay, so sell the bike. You get 100 bucks if you're lucky. What are you going to do next month? Besides that, your kids don't care. Like one of the things that always kills me is people are like, well, you know, they live with my ex. Yeah, but they're your child. Pay the dog on child support. Well, it's expensive. Yeah, it is. You know what? I pay child support to my wife. That's a little tongue in cheek because we're married. We have our four kids together. And yes, it's expensive. The TI-8184CE calculator graphing comes in different colors. You can get a normal color for like 130 bucks, or you can get a blue color, which is my favorite color, for 150 bucks. Thankfully, my daughter's like, just get the normal color. But that's expensive. And then I had to feed her that week. And I had to pay for a mortgage. And I had to pay for an electric bill. And then they need clothes all the time because they're always growing. Create relational equity with your children by doing things that are parental responsibilities. We are so hell-bent on not feeling bad, on getting ours, on being selfish. Well, sometimes you just have to be selfish to have, to have good self-care. That's hogwash. That's ab- Most of the time, that's a hogwash phrase. Now, are there times that you have to make a decision and say, no, this is good self-care for me and I can't do this? Yes. But I hear it about all sorts of stuff. Well, my good self-care is, is I don't want to have to drive 20 minutes to take my kids to see their, their father on New Year's Day because that's my day. That's not good self-care. That's you being selfish. Get mad at me. That's fine. Don't, stop listening to the podcast. I get it. I do. I, I know what I'm saying sits really close to all of our emotions. Parents that, that are not divorced, that have your kids at home with you, one of the things that I run into there, you can build relational equity by saying, no, I get it. You want to stay home and just be on your device or whatever, but you need to come with me. Or let's flip that around. Let's say you hate devices. Let's say that your wife had an affair on you and one of the things that facilitated was devices and you're convinced that if the device didn't exist, she wouldn't have done it. By the way, you're wrong, but, but whatever, right? Because that's blaming an external for an internal thing. And so when you see your kids on devices, you're just like, get off them. That's not building relational equity with your kids because they didn't do the wrong. It's one of the craziest things that we see in our society, right? We punish the masses for the decisions of the few, right? Your high school lacrosse team, two players do something wrong. They cancel the season. Well, wait, but it was just two players. Why don't we just kick them off? Nope. Punish everybody. 
One parent in 200 shows up to school lunch. This is happening right now. One parent in 200 shows up to lunch and is disruptive. So we ban parents coming to lunches altogether. Just get rid of all of it. That's silliness. And it destroys relational equity because relational equity runs in every relationship in your life. Your coworkers, if you're a teacher, you have relational equity with your students, with the parents of your students, with your colleagues, with the janitor, with the support staff. You have relational equity and you totally control what side of it you put in. If you're a counselor, I don't care what you do. You just look at the people around you. You have relational equity with them. Whether or not it's good equity or bad equity is your choice and based on your behaviors. All right. So this one went a little long. Uh, something obviously I'm very passionate about build good relational equity. Don't use your kids to manipulate this holiday season. Uh, it drives me crazy when I see that happen. Uh, it really, really just stop, just stop that, please. I'm begging you. All right. If you have a question, if you have feedback, if you like this, if you hated it, whatever, let me know. You can find me at joemartino.com. You can find me on Twitter at joemartino, uh, facebook.com forward slash joemartinocounseling. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.